your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to look at verses 89 through 96 tonight. And the message is entitled, Ever-Changing and Never-Changing. Verses 89 through 96 speak about the Word of God. And it speaks about God's Word being eternal. It is the never-changing and everlasting Word of God. And even though the world and men are ever-changing, that is, they're changing every day, God's Word is established. We see that in verse 1. It says, it's settled in heaven. It is settled. And it is written in stone. You know, we've all heard that expression. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not written in stone. Well, God's Word is written in stone. Go back to the Old Testament, look at the tablets of stone. Abraham Lincoln said of the Bible, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. I like the next two things that Martin Luther said about the Bible. And I think we could be great to follow his, his writing here. Martin Luther says, I study my Bible like I gather apples. He says, first I shake the whole tree that the ripest might fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I have shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. And then I look under each leaf. Man, that's what you call studying God's word. Looking for the fruit that comes from it. Martin Luther wrote this about God's word. He says, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. The Bible is not antique or modern. It's eternal. And that's exactly what the psalmist is pointing out here. And because God's word never changes, we can depend upon it. We can trust in it. And we can build our lives on it all day long. And Jesus clearly taught the everlasting quality of God's word in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said in Matthew five seventeen through 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it is fulfilled. And what Jesus was teaching is not that not even the smallest letter, a jot or tittle, which is a part of the letter, maybe like a, the crossing of a T, he says, is going to be left out, is not going to be fulfilled. He said, not even these little things will be left out from my word until every single part of it is fulfilled. And, and not even then. Jesus said in Matthew 2.35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And one of the many reasons for believing the Bible to be God's word and not man's is how it's been preserved and protected for thousands of years. The Bible is a unique book, man. It is not like any other. It's unique in its continuity. It's different from all others in so many ways. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written over 40 generations. It was written by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua was a military general, Nehemiah a cupbearer, Daniel is a prime minister, 
Luke was a doctor, Solomon a king, Matthew a tax collector, Paul a rabbi. It was written in different places. It was written by Moses in the wilderness, by Jeremiah in a dungeon, by Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul inside prison walls. Luke wrote it while traveling, John while he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and others wrote it in the harshness of a military battle. It was written at different times. It was written by David in times of war and Solomon in times of peace. It was written during different moods. Some wrote from the heights of joy. Others wrote from the depths of sorrow and despair. For instance, the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, you will find probably every emotion that man can experience. The highs, the lows, the depressions, the joys. It was written on three different continents. Asia, African, and Europe. It was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, which was the language of the Old Testament. It was written in Aramaic, which was the common language of the Near East until the time of Alexander the Great from the 6th to 4th century BC. It was written in the Greek, the New Testament language in the time of Christ. Its subject matter included hundreds of controversial subjects. And the authors of the Bible spoke on hundreds of controversial subjects. But they spoke with harmony and continuity from Genesis to Revelation, and they never contradicted each other. Can you imagine just one of the subjects? Let's, look, let's pick love. And having all of these people during all of this time right on that subject, and not one time did it contradict, did they contradict each other. That's amazing. That's the Word of God. And there's one unfolding story as you read it, God's redemption of man. The Bible has survived the harshest of critics. It it has survived the harshest of persecutions. And it has survived to our day because it is the holy word of God. The Bible has been translated in parts and in whole. It's been translated into many languages with many versions. And after millions of copies have been printed and circulated all around the world, it would be almost impossible to destroy the Bible. There have been many who have tried to destroy the Bible, to get rid of it, to get it out of circulation, but it has survived. If the Bible was man's work, it would have been lost or destroyed a long time ago, just like a lot of other books. But the Bible has withstood the test of time and it stayed in one piece. Let's begin now with verses 89 through 91. And the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, the word, notice, is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. The psalmist is saying, Lord, forever your word stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as as enduring as the earth you created. Your laws remain today because everything serves your plans. The psalmist acknowledges the unchangeableness of God and of all of his counsels. The psalmist is saying, you're always you, God. That's the neat thing. You're always you. You're always the same. And with you, there's no changing. And this is a proof of it. In Hebrews 13 and 8, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability or the unchangeableness of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by these two immutable things, that is, His promise and His oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. God's promises are unchanging and they're trustworthy because God is unchanging and trustworthy. And when God promised Abraham a son, God took an oath in his own name. And that oath was as good as God's own name. And God's name was as good as his divine nature. The psalmist said in Psalm 138 too, For you have magnified your word above all your name. Your word, God, by which you made the heavens is settled, the psalmist says, and isn't changed by the changes that take place here on earth. Isaiah 46 through 8, he said, All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, the word of our God stands forever. We also read here in verse 90, it says that your faithfulness endures to all generations. So not one word of his will fail. Listen to 1 Kings 8.56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Joshua 21.45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Isaiah 55.10 and 11. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stays on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. He says, it's the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's faithfulness is given to all generation, the psalmist said. That means his promises are guaranteed to everyone through every age of the church while it still exists. And it can never, God's word can never become irrelevant or obsolete with the passing of time. The promises that are still future, they're going to come to pass. Just as God promised when it's his time. And God proves it by the continuation of nature. The psalmist said, you establish the earth forever and it remains today. The earth is what it was when he first made it. It's in the same place where he first put it. Now you have all of these people claiming we're going to be instinct in a few years and it's going to it's going to fall apart. Even with all the natural disasters like storms and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes and man-made disasters like wars, all of the changes in climate and temperatures, it will not be moved. The earth will not be moved. In Revelation 16, 8 and 9, it says, Then the fourth angel uh, poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat. Now, you know, we talk about global warming. This is global warming. The sun is going to scorch mankind. And it says men were scorched with heat. Now we look at what it says in Matthew 24, 3 and 14. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, Tell us, Lord, when are these things going to be? You know, when is the end of the age going to come? Listen to what Jesus said. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. 
The end will come when God brings it to an end. After God has warned the world, then judgment, which is the ending of the age, will come. God gives men plenty of warning about the end. But God's creation is established. It is changing. Until the last day when God's fire purifies all things and he ushers in a new heaven and earth, this present earth is going to stand. We got all of these celebrities proclaiming, like they act like they're scientists. The other day, two days, I read this by the actress Patricia Arquette. She says, if President Trump wins in 2020, we will face extinction and destruction of our planet. Man, I wonder how much she studied to figure that out. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, the world will end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Really? What did we just see the scriptures say? The laws that God built into creation will also stand whether scientists understand them or not. Now, people have abused the earth and they have wasted the earth and its resources. But God's creation will continue to serve the creator. Everything in creation serves the Lord except us, human beings in the image of God. How sad. This is still our father's world and we can trust him to manage it wisely. Listen to Nahum 1, 3 through 5. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and he makes it dry and he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt and the earth leaves, uh, heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. God controls the forces of nature. That's what Nahum was saying in, in, in this verse. Nahum says, God opened the Red Sea for the people of Israel to march through it. God can turn off the rain. He can turn on the rain. He can make the most beautiful areas of the land a wasteland. At Sinai, God made the mountain shake in Exodus 19. And when he pleases, he can cause the people of the world to shake. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21 says that. The word they in verse 91, speaking of the heavens. With all of its galaxies and its stars and its planets. Notice it says, continue this day, to this day, according to your ordinances. That is, he, the psalmist says, they stay in their places, God, where you put them. They accomplish the purpose for which you put them there. And nothing is going to change that. It shows us the stability of nature. The sun comes up every morning and the, and the moon comes out every night. It has since the day of creation. God has done this since creation to prove the ordinances of day and night, of heaven and earth, and to prove God's eternal covenant. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36. Thus says the Lord, notice, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. If those ordinances, listen, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. God is saying, you know what? I am as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to do away with the laws of nature. Jeremiah 33, 19 through 21. Thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day or night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. It's by the righteousness of God's promise to Noah 
in Genesis 8.22 that day and night, summer and winter, maintain a steady course. Those are called seasons. It says in Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. In spite of these brilliant celebrities that say in 12 years it's going to be over. They're not going to cease. Seasons, we go through seasons, hot ones, cold ones. It's been going on forever. The seasons ever since creation have continued to come, have continued to this day, and they will still continue to the end. It says, according to the ordinances that were first given, because they are all your servants, God. They do your will and they show your glory. Nothing's going to change that. No matter how hot the climate gets, no matter how cold the climate gets. God is in control. All the creatures God created are in their places and and they do according to their abilities. They serve their creator and they fulfill what they were created for. Man is the only creature that rebels against his creator. Verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. The psalmist says, Lord, if your word hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. The psalmist was in terrible misery because of his affliction, and he was ready to throw in the towel in his affliction. He wasn't likely to die so much as likely to become hopeless. You see, the psalmist was in such terrible misery, he was ready to give up all hope. And he looked at himself as being cut off from God's sight, like God didn't see him or, or God didn't notice what was going on. But he admires God's goodness to him. Why? Because he hadn't perished. And he wasn't driven out of his mind by his problems. But he admired God, especially that he was allowed to stay close to his God and he wasn't driven off from his God by his problems. Even though, even though we're not kept from affliction, but kept from, from perishing in our affliction, we don't have any reason to say that we have cleansed our hands in vain or, that what, or what profit is there that we serve our God. The psalmist tells us what held him together in his distress. He said, God's law was my delight. It was before and remembering that God comforted him and it gave him a good sign of God's integrity. So the law was his delight during his affliction. He was getting great comfort from God's word. His meditating on it delighted in him. During his time of loneliness and sorrow, there's no better place or no more pleasant friend any time than the Bible. When we get in trouble, we usually go to God for help. And that's what the psalmist did too. But we often stop there. And then we expect God to jump in all by himself and do miracles without any work on our part. We just kind of kick back and do nothing and expect God to do everything. But the psalmist was wiser than we are. Because while he prayed for help, he also did what he was able and obligated to do. He studied and meditated on the Bible. You see, the psalmist knew even though it was, it, it's God who has to do the work, 
God, however, works through means, through methods and through channels, through people. When it comes to lifting us up out of our trouble and setting our feet on a sure foundation, the only absolutely necessary means of deliverance and growth is the Bible, Bible study. Verse 93, he says, I will never forget your precepts for by them, that is God's precepts, you have given me life. He says, I will never forget your commandments, Lord, because you've used them to restore my joy and my health. You see, God's word gave him life. God's word renewed him. It invigorated him. And he speaks about the things of God through experience. And those who have experienced the things of God, they are the ones who can speak the best about God. When you're going through some kind of a situation, you want to talk to somebody who's experienced it, haven't you? Because they can give you insight. They can give you guidance. Who Who can say because of God's word, I have spiritual life? That it started with his word. I can say that. Because it was through reading God's word one night that I got saved. The psalmist says here, I have been kept and I have been strengthened by his word. I'm excited and I'm comforted by his word. This is a good reason why we should never forget his word. But we should value it, value it highly like God does. And dearly love what we have found in it and hope still to find such great benefit by the word of God. The psalmist found renewal as he studied the Bible while he was going through his afflictions. He's not praying for renewal. He is saying, he's stating a fact that God has renewed him in his affliction. And the renewal came about as he remembered God's word, which is what the other verses also confirm. How do you think of renewal? Do you think of it as something that God does by his Holy Spirit? Well, that's partly true. But we tend to forget the connection between the Holy Spirit and God's word. You see, he's the author of God's word. He's the inspirer of God's word. He's the one who teaches us God's word. We have to remember that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit always go together. God speaks to to us through the Word. And through the Word does the Holy Spirit renew us inwardly. And the psalmist is saying here that God has renewed him here. He says, so I'm not depressed anymore because of my afflictions that I'm dealing with. He made a good decision here. He said to never forget your precepts. God, I will never forget your precepts. Instead, I will always remember them. I will look to your word as my way of life. It will be the law in my life. It will be my standard for living. And it should be something that I decide to do for the rest of my life. Never to be changed. And the best way to prove our love for God's word is never forget it. We have to decide that we will never at any time 
No matter what our circumstances are, depart from the faith and never under any circumstances give up, but we will be faithful to his word and we will persevere in it. A very good reason for never forgetting his precepts because he says, by them, that is by your precepts, you have given me life. Verse 94 and 95. Notice what he says, I am yours, God, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. He says, I'm yours, God, save me. Because I've applied myself to obey your commandments. And though the wicked hide all along the way to kill me, I will quickly, I will quietly keep my mind upon your decrees or your word. God delivered him from those wicked people who were coming against him. And God renewed his life and lifted his spirits. I mean, this was really deliverance for the psalmist. And now we see in these verses that those wicked people are still around, showing that he and us need God's salvation all the time. Because the wicked are always going to be with us. They're always going to be around us. They're always going to come against us. If God wasn't with us every moment of every single day, sustaining our lives and keeping us from constant dangers, the dangers that we see and the dangers that we don't see, we definitely would be wiped out in a minute. We need God's continual deliverance from our sins more than ever. The psalmist declares his relationship to God. He says, Lord, I am yours. I am yours. Do you belong to God? He says, Lord, I'm devoted to you. I belong to you. Lord, I'm your property. You own me. I'm yours by covenant. Notice he doesn't say you are mine, even though that's true and understood. But he says, I am yours. He's expressing his acknowledgement of this in a humble and submissive way. I'm yours, God. And you know what? I'm yours not because of any personal value or any merit of my own, but because God God owns me. Showing his ownership. I'm yours. I'm not my own. I'm not the world's. And then he proves what he says because he says, I have sought your precepts. I've applied your word to my life, God. I have carefully looked at my duty and I have diligently tried to do it. And this is the best proof that we belong to God. I apply his word to my life. The best way to prove that we belong to God. Everyone who belongs to God, even though they haven't found perfection, are seeking it. And the psalmist even improves on what he says he says i'm yours save me save me from sin god save me from destruction and people who have really given themselves to god to be his they can be sure that god will protect them and preserve them from heaven for heaven malachi three eighteen. he said then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves god and one who does not serve him The psalmist complains about how wicked his enemy are. He says, they've waited for me to destroy me. They were very cruel. 
And God, all they wanted to do was to destroy me. They were very sneaky and they tried every chance they got to hurt me. And they were positive that they could do that. They were positive that they could destroy me. They thought for sure that I would become their victim. He comforts himself in the word of God as his protection. Lord, while they, were, they were, while they were trying to figure out how they were going to destroy me, I will consider your testimonies which promise me my deliverance. God's word, man, God's testimonies are our support and our strength when we think about them. Verse 96. He says, I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. He says here, even perfection has its limits, but Lord, not your commands. Your word has no limits. Here the psalmist speaks from his own experience. He's bearing witness. He's giving the testimony to the fact that the emptiness of the world and its inability to make him happy. He said, I've seen what the world calls perfection. And he says, man, it doesn't even come close to the perfection of God's word. We can see the flaws of worldly perfection. We see everything that the world passes before our eyes, all of the allurements, all of the, the trinkets that the world passes before us and says and calls it perfect. This is the perfect car. This is the perfect house. This is the perfect job, the perfect on and on it goes. Many of God's people have seen the world's example of so-called perfection and just how imperfect they really are. David, in his time, had seen Goliath. Man, Goliath, he was supposed to be the biggest, baddest, greatest warrior of all the land. He saw him defeated. Asael, the swiftest man alive, could run like a deer, was overtaken. Ahithophel, the wisest of all of David's counselors, was deceived by Absalom. And there was Absalom. Man, the most handsome of men was deformed when he got his hair caught in the tree and they chopped off his head. He saw that man wasn't perfect. The psalmist saw it by faith, that is, through the spoken word. He saw it personally. He saw that man was not perfect. Man is inadequate and he's incompetent. Because there are things that he cannot do for himself that only God can do for him. The glory of man, our glory is like a flower. We're here for a moment and then we're gone. We bloom, we show our so-called beauty for a while, then it's gone. But here we have the psalmist's testimony about the fullness of the word of God and its ability to satisfy us. The psalmist said, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. That is, it has no limits to what it can do. Because we have a God without limitations. You know, God's only limit, limitation is us. Because he will never do anything that we don't want him to do. He will never impose upon us. We're God's only limitation. But he has no limits to what he can do. 
if we'll allow Him to. In closing, the Word of God takes care of all situations in every age. God's Word speaks to the whole man, every fiber of his being, every part of him, and it's designed to sanctify us. God's Word is designed to sanctify us completely. There's a lot that's required of us, and there's a lot that's forbidden in every commandment. God's promise covers all of our burdens. It covers all of our needs. And it covers all of our complaints. And God's word will satisfy us. And God's word will bring us joy. When we, when, when we realize that worldly perfection is not perfect. And the word of God is. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful section of, of Psalm 119, God. And Lord, it is so amazing as, as I was just pondering this, this this afternoon, Lord, in reviewing this, that God, we, we there's so much written about the Word of God. And it seems, it would seem in, in man's mind that you you could you could come to the end of finding things to say about God's Word. But Lord, I have learned and I have found in all the years that I've read it and studied it that it never changes. And it's trustworthy. And it gets deeper and deeper. The more I read it, the more I study it. And it shows me the deepness of our God. The wisdom of God. The power of God. And therefore, how we can put our trust in him. And we can be comforted in God. And we can walk securely in God. Because of His depth and His richness. The width and the breadth of who He is. As the Bible says that, that the world could not contain Him. Books, there could never, we could never finish writing all there is to know about him. Knowing this God, Father, we should run to you and stay close to you, God, through all trials and all tribulations, God, putting our hope in you, Lord. And loving you like no other, Father. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you. That God, just hearing your word. Would touch them and inspire them, God. And that they would want to know. 
a God like you. You're not just a word. You're not just some spirit that floats about. You're not just some idea. But you are real. And you have a personality and you have character and you have feelings. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we worship. You get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps of front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.